We have a, a pretty packed uh, Sunday. After my sermon, we are going to baptize two folks. Isn't that cool? Yep, we're going to, going to baptize a couple of folks. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time as you see uh, these two folks declare their testimony and to see this community that loves them, cares for them, and has been integral to their journey, standing beside them, um, celebrating with them. A uh, couple uh, things here before we jump in and dive in. Uh, first and foremost, um, it was uh, acknowledged and done during the offering uh, time or the announcement time, but I do want to quickly, once again, thank, appreciate, and acknowledge Libby and her work. Um, in a moment, I'm going to ask her just to stand so you guys could look at her and clap and, and appreciate her. Uh, Libby uh, has been a part of our church family for years, and she has been an amazing, amazing woman of God, servant of God. And, uh, and we just want to let her know how much we love her, care for her, and appreciate everything that she's done. So, Libby, will you stand and look at the congregation? Thank you, guys. Thank you, church, for, for that. Um, secondly, uh, I just want to say thank you and just let you know how much I appreciate the incredible response to the need that was uh, shared. Our church has been going through a financial, uh, a financial need for the uh, last year or so. And we shared with you guys honestly up front where we were. And the two Sundays afterwards and the giving has just been amazing. Has been amazing. If those of you that pay attention to the bulletins, if you look, the Sundays have just been incredible in terms of generosity. So I want to thank you. I want to let you know how much I appreciate that. And I also want you to know that we as a church could not do what we do without you. So keep up the good work. And um, we love the fact that you believe in the mission of this church and the men and women who are part of it. So thank you, thank you, and thank you for that. Um, lastly, uh, I was uh, overwhelmed and blown away last Sunday as a number of you prayed for me and stuck around to pray for me. I also got a handful of people wondering whether I was okay uh, and whether I was hanging in there. Uh, I want you to know that I'm okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not about to like drop dead or anything like that. Uh, my marriage is fine. And there are people who are like, is your marriage okay? My marriage is fine, you know. Uh, family's okay. Um, this is my last sermon uh, for the next three months. I'm going to be away for a three-month sabbatical. And uh, I got one sermon in me, so I'm going to preach this one sermon. And it also worked, it also worked out that it was one of those things where I'm like, if there's one thing that I want to leave with them, what would it be? It just so happens that it fits right along with what we've been talking about. And the Holy Spirit. So uh, do pray for me. Again, you know, I, it's not a crisis situation by any means. Uh, hopefully, um, 
you will remember me in your prayers. And as I am away, that God would refresh me, that God would renew me, God would restore me, and that the powerful present work of the Holy Spirit will be made real to me. Okay? Um, I, I just want to share this. I'm not going away, away. You know, I'm going to be around, uh, which means I'll be in the city. And so I've gotten a couple of weird questions like, so uh, if we, like, see you out in the streets, what do we do? Do we just walk, uh, avoid you? What do, what do we do? <laughs> to which, to which uh, my answer is, uh, <laughs> Michael's like, yes, avoid. No, no. If I see you out about coffee shop, shopping, just come by and say, hey, how you doing? Give me a hug. Shake my hand. I'd also even appreciate prayer and saying, hey, can I just pray for you real quick? And, 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 and that would be awesome. Please don't be awkward. I hate it when people are awkward around me, you know. Um, yeah. Nathan was, Nathan was telling me this random story. I was hanging out at this coffee shop. Filter. Don't come there, by the way. It's in Wicker Park. I was hanging out there. And, uh, <laughs> and Nathan got a text from his sister, right? And, and she said something like, I think I see your pastor at Filter. And Nathan's like, go and say hi. She's like, no, I can't go say hi. And Nathan's like, I'm going to. What, what, what did you say you were going to do? Yeah, so he was going to text. Did she send you a picture? Freaky, <laughs> freaky. So this woman took a picture. It was like, is this your pa-? Freaky, freaky. <laughs> Almost felt stalked. But anyway, so Nathan was like, I'm going to text him if you don't, you know. So please be normal, be natural, say hi, okay? Was that? Yeah, don't, don't take, please don't take pictures. <laughs> I could just see it now. I see a picture at the back of my head, right, somewhere, right? Somebody's Facebook post like, I saw him on the street. Big, big mohawk, fohawk, whatever this is called. Anyway. Oh, one last thing, and then, uh, and then we need to jump in here. Um, uh, people have been asking about herb to uptown church planting. And here's essentially what we're doing. We're not stopping. I mean, you know, financial issues, one, one, one dynamic of this. But let me paint a picture for you guys. Uptown Church Plant, here's where we're at. Book of Acts, we're in Acts chapter 1. And the call of God for us for Uptown Church Plant is go to the upper room, fast and pray. Acts chapter 2, and the Spirit coming and the ministry, mission, that's going to happen. I got it. Don't worry about it. So what we're doing for those who are committed to Uptown and are interested, we will be gathering once a month, possibly twice a month, starting in July, to fast and pray for God's direction. Okay? So you will hear more announcements. You will see it on bulletins. You will possibly even see a video. So those of you that have shown and expressed interest because you felt led by God to do it, please go to this prayer meeting and pray with your brothers and sisters and seek God's heart in the upper room for the falling of the Spirit so we can do God's work. Amen? All right. Holy Spirit, that's what we've been talking about. And I just want to make absolutely one thing clear. This is not a sermon series amongst other sermon series we do. Do you understand that by now? This isn't like, well, that's really good to talk about. So I can kind of add that to the dynamic of all these other things you talk about, Peter, like you talked about forgiveness. That's a part of the Christian life. No, what we're talking about is as fundamental as the gospel, Jesus. Amen? Nothing we talk about in this church, okay, anything and everything we talk about from this point is grounded and anchored on this foundation, the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't need to talk about other things if we do not understand this dynamic because the reality is, and here's what I've been talking about. Here are the three truths we've been anchored. Number one, the Christian life isn't just difficult. The Christian life is impossible, to which all of God's people should say, 
Come on. Am I the only one that finds this to be the case? Christian life isn't just hard, not just difficult. It's impossible. Try living it out is impossible. And by the way, so when we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about initially the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Hey, Kenny, what's up, dude? Good to see you, man. Oh, once in a while, I see like, whoa, you're back from San Diego. Did you tell me you were going to be back? Jeez, man. So what we've been talking about, right, is... is I never lose my chain of thought when I'm preaching. It's amazing. When I'm talking with people, yes, but not when I'm preaching. Oh, this is foundational to what we do. And we're not talking about supernatural work. We're talking about just the regular day old Christian living. Come on. You you and I can't pull this off. And that's not a knock on us. It's not because there's something wrong with you, wrong with me, or other people know something we don't. The Christian life and what the demands of the Christian life is impossible. I thought about this this week. I thought... Here's why this is also important. This truth keeps us from being self-righteous. The kind of Christians that you and I hate. The kind of Christians that you and I look and go, I don't want to be like that. Because here's the thing. If you really believe that anything good that you do, anything good that comes out of us is not because of us, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit, how can you possibly be arrogant? So for those of you that have been feeling nervous about Holy Spirit, I don't know how I feel about that. It has all these, you know, notions of super spiritual Christians who are really showy and all that. I'm I'm talking about this might be the thing that keeps you and I from becoming self-righteous, arrogant Christians that turn off other people. Because at the end of the day, fundamentally, we go, anything good that I do, it's him. It's him. So here's the second point. Because the Christian life is impossible, we need a helper. And here's what Jesus said. I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot see because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. If you're a Christian, do you need to ask for the Holy Spirit? Answer, no. Do you need to ask more of the Holy Spirit? We'll get to this. The answer is no also. You have him inside of you. You have all of him that you need. He doesn't leak. Okay, out of you. He is inside of you. He lives permanently in you. And he came to live for you this Christian life through you. Okay? And so the only way that we have a chance at this is to, is to rely on appropriate acknowledge the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, living this Christian life through us, this Christian life for us. Okay? So Jesus, matter of fact, Jesus went out so far as to say, hey, it's, it's your advantage that I go away. It's better that I go away because then he comes. He said this in John 16. So third, the Christian life that God intended is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives in us, lives through us, this Christian life for us. If in the Bible there was a group of Christians who could have kind of done it on their own, if you're not kind of, it would have been the disciples. You know what I'm saying? They walked with him, saw him three years Discipled, mentored by Jesus. Wow, unbelievable training. If there's any group of people who could have said, you know what, this Christian life thing, I think I could sort of kind of pull it off. Yet Jesus says this to them, right? Acts chapter 1. Because of time, I'm just going to summarize. You can't do this. You can't. This world-transforming ministry, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. So I'm going to send a spirit to do it for you. And through you. And in you. Do you understand the weight of this in your Christian life today? 
Or is the Holy Spirit a theological category? Someone you barely give attention to or think about. Is the Holy Spirit and the awareness of the Holy Spirit real, palpable, tangible in your life? To which many of us are like, no, that's why I'm preaching this sermon series. Who is the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is the, next sermon slide, the personal divine resident of the Christian's heart. We don't have time to go into it now. We will as we continue the series. Holy Spirit, we said, was God. He's co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal with God. When we ignore the Holy Spirit, we are ignoring God. He is not only divine, but he is also personal. Holy Spirit is a person. And the important thing about that is we could have a relationship, a relationship, a relationship with him. He's not a force. He has some uncontrollable power. He is a person that you and I can get to know intimately and have a relationship with. The key is an awareness of this person who lives inside of you. Here's some of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we'll cover these as the sermon series goes on. What does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts sin, righteousness, and judgment. He guides and assures. He intercedes and he prays. And we talked about that last week and what that means, powerful truth. He directs and warns. He searches the mysteries of God and reveals them. And he teaches and reminds some of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Have you encountered some of the ministries of the Holy Spirit this past week? Yes? Did you take a moment to pause and go, that's him. That's him. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Make a habit of doing that, please. When you know and sense his ministry in and through you, take a moment, pause and go, ah, him. Because developing an awareness of him is a great challenge for many of us. What's he doing? How's he doing it? He does all of these things and more. Awareness, awareness, awareness. Okay, so last week we talked about, to me, one of the fundamental ministries of the Holy Spirit, which is the filling, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we found this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and on. Very familiar passage. Why is this so critical for us to recognize what this means? Two things real quick. Being filled by the Holy Spirit is not the Holy Spirit coming, filling an empty space. So please get that out of your mind. There's an empty space. I need you to come and fill it. The Holy Spirit is where, if you're a Christian? Inside of you. More of him? No, no. He is there in all of his capacity. We need to acknowledge and appropriate to a greater measure what is already there. Secondly, be filled is not something we passively wait for. So one mistake, I need empty space, come and fill. Second mistake is I passively wait. I need you to come and fill me. But as we'll see, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a conscious decision of our will and of our heart. Let's look. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Be very careful then. Verse 15, I'm going to read. We covered verses 1 through 14 last week, so if you missed it, please check out the podcast. How you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be 
filled. We're just going to meditate in those words. Be filled with the Spirit. The interpretive key is that there are two commands in Ephesians 5. Two commands. One negative, one positive. Negative command. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. And it's critical to understand this dynamic because everything that we need to know about what it means to be primarily filled with the Spirit is in this interpretive key. Do not get drunk on wine. What does it mean to be drunk? To be drunk means to be soaked, literally saturated with. To be soaked. To be saturated with. That's what the word literally means in Greek. And dominated by. And I said this last week. What makes you drunk is not how much alcohol you drink. Because some of us, 10 glasses of wine, I'm totally fine. Your pastor, one glass of red wine, I turn bright red, my eyes get bright shot red, and my wife tells me I get real quiet. We all know how much you drink has nothing to do with what, what is it? It's about how much the alcohol has you that determines whether you're drunk. So the question is that when it comes to be filled, do you have the Holy Spirit? You have it. Or how much of the Holy Spirit do you have? You have all that you need. The question is, how much, check this out, does the Holy Spirit have you? You with me? The question is, how much does the Holy Spirit have you? Just to be drunk is to be saturated, soaked, dominated by, to be totally influenced by alcohol, to be filled with the Spirit is to be dominated by, saturated with filled with and utterly influenced by the Holy Spirit in such a way that he has your heart, your soul, your mind, your body. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what we talked about debauchery, right? Or dissipation which is a result of being drunk. And dissipation or debauchery literally means to waste, to squander, to deplete, to be spent. The picture is one of total exhaustion, totally being out of control, right? And the, and the only other place in the New Testament where that same word appears is in the prodigal son story, Luke chapter 15, verse 13, where about the prodigal son, while he is out there, it says, he, here's a word, squandered, depleted, dissipated his wealth in wild living. Debauchery means to be wasted, to be out of control, to be exhausted. And I said last week, if you claim to be filled with the Spirit, and yet you are out of control in regards to your time, your body, your tongue, your emotions, you might be other things, but you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not out of control. I can't get... Being filled... One of the fruit of the Holy Spirit being filling you in Galatians 5 is self-control. This is so important. How many of us, be honest, are out of control in terms of how we use our time, our bodies, our tongue, and our emotions? Being filled with the Spirit is a life of self-control, balance, refinement. You with me, Carlton? Make sense? Being filled with the Spirit is one of self-control, balance, refinement. It's a person who's anchored and strong. Filled with the Holy Spirit. 
this week, and I don't have time to go more into it, but we see the other effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is instead of debauchy dissipation, it leads to a life of stimulation. What do I mean? You go to the Spirit to get from the Spirit what you go to the bottle to get. I'm a pastor. I talk to a lot of people who struggle with alcohol, alcoholism, people who drink a lot. Here's what I hear. Pastor Peter, I lost my job. That was the meaning in life for me. I lost the meaning in life. Why do I drink? To overwhelm my senses so that I don't have to think about it. And that way I get meaning in life back. Does it resonate? Anybody? Yeah. You drink to get meaning in life back. Other people, they drink to get courage. What do I mean? I have to have a very difficult conversation with somebody and I'm scared. Why? It knocks out certain centers in your brain and it suppresses what it, So you all of a sudden get courage that you didn't know was there. Really isn't. But you get courage. And now you could have that conversation. Does anybody say yes? If you know what I, Yes. You know why else people drink? To get vulnerability. I've met people who when they're sober, wound incredibly tight. But then when they drink, all of a sudden it's like they become a different person. <laughs> I want to share with you what's going on in my life. Okay, what's going on in your life? You see then the next day, wow, does anybody know what I, yes? Okay, so what do you do? People go to the bottle to get meaning in life, to get courage, to get vulnerability. Problem is, do those things last? Answer, no. So what does the spirit do? This is so powerful. That's why this context the Paul, Apostle Paul is saying, you go to the Spirit to get what you get from the bottom. In other words, you get courage. You get meaning in life. You get vulnerability back. But you don't get it by going to the bottle. And it, alcohol, everybody says, is a depressant. It knocks out your sense of reality. It narrows your sense of vision. You don't have to think about it. What does the Spirit do? It heightens your sense of awareness. It heightens your sense of meaning. It gives you a sense of reality. You with me? Imagine your problems as a monster with fangs and claws. I'm like, fangs. Imagine, imagine your problem but with, with a monster with fangs and with claws, and it's coming to attack your little house. What does alcohol do? You drink. You're like, I don't want to think about the monster. I don't want to think about it. Thinking about it, just, I just can't think about it. So you drink. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comes, and it heightens your sense of reality. It gives you even more sense of clarity. What does it do? It shows you that there is something greater than that monster. He is a sovereign Lord of history. And he sits on the throne and he's got you. You with me? Come on, how many of us? And I told myself, go to the bottle. I can't deal with it. I don't want to think about it anymore. I just, you all know somebody or you've done it yourself. But that never solves the issue because at some point you get sober and you're right back. But what the Holy Spirit does is it heightens, it gives you a greater sense of reality, a greater sense of awareness of what is really going on. And it says that there is someone who is greater than that little old monster. His name is Jesus. Do you know how often the Bible talks about this? 
You'll read your Bibles differently. This is what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1. I keep asking that the glorious Father may give you the spirit, check this out, of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I also pray that the eyes of your heart, listen to what he's saying, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule all authority all power all dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but in the one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church is this good news the Holy Spirit comes to you he takes this and he says it's becoming more real you're becoming more aware of this truth. It takes the truth and it makes it shine in your heart in such a way that whatever little monsters you're dealing with, instead of going to a bottle, or by the way, other things like a fling, meaningless relationships, smoking weed, whatever else is your choice of thing to get me away, the Bible says the truth of God comes and makes these two shine and you become aware. Parker one day goes, Daddy, where did the stars go during the day? Stars? Stars are there during the day. What's happening? The sun is outshining the stars. What you see is the sun overwhelming, overpowering the stars. God takes truth. And he says, your problem's there? Yeah. Don't be in denial about it. I can't stand Christians who are like, praise the Lord. Thank you. No, 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 no. You have addiction issues. No, 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 no. Your marriage is in trouble. No, 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 no. You have a hard heart they can't forgive, and it's toxic to your soul. Yes, yes, yes. You're in a meaningless, dead-end relationship, but because you're too insecure, you can't get out of it. Yes, you've got all these issues and problems. You lost your job, and you are tempted to go do that thing to make you. What do you do? The Spirit of God comes, and he says, I'm not going to make you less aware of reality. I'm going to Make you more over reality. And God sits on the throne. How strong would you and I be if this became real to us? Can I give you one more story? One more story? I love this. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 6, check this out. Prophet Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha. I always got confused about those two. Elisha is with his servant in Dothan. And in Dothan, they are surrounded by the enemy's armies, horses and chariots. And the servant of Elisha is freaking out. He's going, what do we do? And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. Hold on. You get to clap a little bit. Open his eyes that he may see. And what does he see? Oh, I love this. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Is this good news? The servant opens his eyes and he doesn't just see the Assyrians. He sees the army of God surrounding the hills. What are you doing about your problems, your issues? 
Are you the typical Christian that goes, I don't think about it. I don't think about it. So I'm going to go to alcohol, to a fling, meaningless relationship, drugs. Or some of us, we have the gift of just, I'll just sit here on the couch for eight hours. Are you going to get up and do something? No. Or video games. My prayer as I'm away, I'm going to be praying this passage over you over and over every day. I'm just going to get up every day while I'm away. And I'm going to remember your names and your faces. I'm I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God would open your eyes. That whatever you're going through, that you would see chariots of fire and the army of God. And for you to know that he who loves you and is in control of history is with you. That you are his sheep and you could hear his voice and nothing can pluck you out of his hand. That all things will ultimately work out for his glory and for your good. That's what I'm going to be praying for. That your eyes will be opened to see truth shining. The stars are there. They didn't go any star. But that the sun would shine in your soul. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for you. And the wonderful thing about experiencing the Spirit and His filling in us, and I love this, is that it's not environmentally sensitive. When the Spirit fills you and His juice shines, you're not, it's not going to be affected by the economy. It's not going to be affected by a job loss. It's not going to be affected by relational loss. It's not going to be affected by ups and downs of life. That's the key that the Spirit's filling has come. It's not environmentally sensitive. Why? It's not about what's happening around you. It's about what's happening in you. That's how you know it's fruit of the Spirit. Joy, how do you know it's joy from the Spirit and not because things are going well? It lasts. Being drunk doesn't last. You could try, but it doesn't last. At some point, it wanes and comes to an end. Being filled with the Spirit, how do you know it's His peace? How do you know it's His joy? How do you know it's His love? And not because, oh, I got the right guy, I got the right job, I got the... How do you know it's His Spirit? It lasts. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of the ups and downs in life, it lasts, it lasts, it lasts. Jesus says in John 7, I give you my joy and no man could ever take it from you. It's impervious to external circumstances because it's not based on external circumstances, but it's based on who you are in Christ. A couple more passages real quick. Psalm 4, 6. Commit these to memory if you can. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. Result, you filled my heart with greater joy than when there's grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. 
Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. My favorite, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Let me translate what this means for you. I've got no money in my bank account. I'm not in a relationship that I'd like to be in. I don't have these other cars, toys, nice things. I don't have security. I don't have a retirement plan. I don't have any of these things because of what's happening around me. And yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God, my Savior. Are you a hostage to your emotions? Are you a hostage to your emotions and circumstances around you? Are you the type of Christian who's tossed back and forth, back and forth? I'm in a relationship, I'm happy. I'm not in a relationship, I'm depressed. I got a job that I want, I'm happy. I don't have a job, I'm depressed. Or are you a Christian who says, I will find my peace and my joy in the Lord. In the Lord. Again, I'm just praying, Lord, let the truth shine. Open their eyes. Open their eyes. Okay. What does it mean to be filled? Should we, should we go? Should we, should we do it? Should we do it? Okay. What does it mean to be filled? All right, here we go. First and foremost, it's a command. It's a command. It's in the imperative mood. I'm going to use a little, you know, some seminary learned grammar stuff, okay? It's in the imperative mood. In other words, it is saying, you be filled. Point. If you're sitting there going, the Holy Spirit, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. It's not an advice. It's not a suggestion. (laughs) It's not something you go, maybe I'll do it, maybe not, depending on how I feel. It's a command. We don't have a choice to ignore this command any more than any of the other ethical commands in all of Ephesians 5 and other places. Are you with me? We don't. It is a command of God. Be filled. We don't have... And secondly, you don't passively wait for it. If it was... If it's a command, it is inherent that it's not something you wait for, right? It's something you participate in, you do. Secondly, not only is it just a command, but it's for everyone. You be filled is in the plural, not singular. He's not talking to one super spiritual Christian. He's not talking to the charismatics among us. He's not talking to the, I'm open to the Holy Spirit among us. He's talking to everybody. He's saying, uh, y'all, Jesus Southern term, right? Y'all, y'all be filled. I don't care what you think about that. I don't care. Y'all be filled, okay? Individual collect. Everybody be filled. Third, and this is where I'm going to smell about it is in the, to be ongoing. It's to be ongoing. The command is in the present tense. In other words, it is a continuous appropriation. It's not once in a lifetime. I got it. Done. I'm over. No, it's a continuous, lifelong appropriation. It's not like we get one, <gasps> I'm filled for the rest of my life and I'm good. It's to be ongoing. Okay. Bible study, real quick, real quick. There are 10 times that the term filling of the Spirit occurs in the New Testament. 10 times. Nine times, nine times in other places, there's no preposition in front of the word Spirit. It just says, filled, Spirit. When that happens, the emphasis is on the content. In other words, what it is that filled you. You with me? Filled, Spirit. No preposition, it's on the content. 
All these nine times in the rest of the New Testament, when it says filled, spirit, without a preposition, every single time it talks about the once-in-a-lifetime indwelling, permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit that happens when we become a Christian. With me so far? Nine times out of ten, every time it says filled, spirit, no preposition, it's talking about the moment that we become a Christian and we invite the person of Jesus Christ into our hearts, it comes with it, the life of Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. That's why 24 out of the 27 New Testament books doesn't have the term fill spirit in it. And the only other time after the book of Acts where the term fill spirit occurs is here in Ephesians 5. Here in Ephesians 5. Unlike the other nine, there is a preposition. Before the word spirit. And when that happens, the emphasis is not on the content. What it is that fill them, but the emphasis on the agent. In other words, 9 out of 10, the emphasis on the indwelling nature of the Holy Spirit. But here, the emphasis is on the influencing agent nature of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is literally saying in Ephesians 5, 18 is, let the spirit who indwells you permanently, influence you continually. You tracking so far? We'll talk about what this means in a moment. Let the Spirit, this is very important for you to realize. Why? Because there are people out there that are talking about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be absolutely clear about doctrine, about truth. Here in Ephesians 5, unlike any other times, Paul is saying, let the Spirit who indwells you permanently influence you continually. And how do we know that's what he means? It's the metaphor. Drunk Spirit. To be drunk is to be soaked, to be saturated with, to be dominated, to be influenced by alcohol. Paul was saying what it means to be filled with the Spirit is not having him come and occupy an empty space because he's already there. It's not having more of him because he's all, you got all, that, all of him that you want. What it means to be filled with the Spirit is that just as alcohol has tremendous influence over your body, mind, soul, all of you, when the Spirit fills you, he has a tremendous amount of influence over every part of your body, soul, and mind. Here's a definition of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, walking according to the Spirit, I'll talk about that in a moment, is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His influence and His leading dominate my entire being. Let me say that once more. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not fill me, passive waiting. It's not come out, occupy empty space. He's already there. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is living my life sensitive to. It's a relationship. Dependent upon. It's a relationship. The inner promptings. It's a relationship. And the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that when we come up against the temptation. Oh, she's going to be there. Yep. Oh, he's going to be there. Yep. That's going to be there. When we come against that anger, when we come against that hatred, when we come against the lack of forgiveness, when we come against that thing that we know is heading, instead of going, I'm determined to, we say, I pause and I appropriate his empowerment in me so that what I cannot do, he can do. And I allow his influence and his leading to dominate every part of my life. Are we doing this? Are we doing this? Being filled with the Holy Spirit is to voluntarily, it's a command. 
submit and surrender our wills to his influence. To say, Spirit of God, I get up in the morning, I invite you, your direction, your leadership. What would you like me to do? And we remain sensitive to. He's constantly at work and speaking. And I'm aware. I've got my radar on. His inner prompting. Oh, you want me to talk to him? Okay. I was talking to a guy in our church having lunch with him two weeks ago. He said, Peter, I did this. And I can't believe what God is doing. I said, what do you mean? He's like, I actually hear him prompting my heart to do stuff. I said, like what? He's like, I was on the red line. And there were two guys who were talking about Christianity. One was a Christian, one was not. And he said he sat there, and they were talking about nonsense stuff. And he sat there, and he's like, since the Spirit, Holy Spirit going, engage them in the conversation. Say something. And he said he just didn't want, he just didn't. He just sat there with like, headphones on. Do, 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 do. The lesson he said was this. He said, it's amazing that once I became consciously aware of his work, how much I'm catching and sensing the promptings that goes on in my heart all day long. All day long. Anybody talk, know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. So, so relationship, inner promptings, and the influence of the Holy Spirit in such a way that we get up each morning and we go, God, I have my agenda, what I want to do. But you know what? My agenda, not the issue. What's your agenda? What's your will for my life today? Have your way in me. My emotions, my mind, my tongue, my body, my time, my money, everything, God. I'm totally and utterly open to what it is that you would have me do. And then as is an empowerment, as his promptings come, we obey. We obey. Now, surprisingly or not surprisingly, I should say, after book of Ephesians chapter 5, we don't find the term filling. And I think part of it is because Paul was probably like, you know, it's probably confusing for people. Which filling is it, Paul? Is it filling one time indwelling or is it filling as an ongoing? So he probably, he thought, I'm going to come up with another term that gets to the same thing. I'm talking about Ephesians 5. And that term is walk according to the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. A couple examples right here. Colossians chapter 2 or 6. As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so, say it with me, walk in him. Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Ah! Do you know why that's so powerful for me? Because here's my approach to Christian life like many of you. I don't want to carry out the desires of the flesh. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. So I got this list of things that I don't want to do. And Paul's saying, that's how we approach the Christian life. What are the don'ts in the Christian life? And Paul says, no, no, no. Christian life is not a bunch of don'ts. Christian life is one do. It is follow the leading of the Spirit, and the natural outcome is you won't pursue the desires of the flesh. It's so positive. We approach that Christian life from, we all know what the desire of the flesh are, right? Kind of. Oh, I know what the desire of the flesh are. And we're going, ah, I, I want to make sure. So I got all these tools and all these things that I want to do. And Paul says, the Christian life is not about have a bunch of don'ts and go, I don't want to follow the desire of the flesh. Help. The Christian life is living my life, sensitive to, dependent upon his influence, his leading. And if I follow that, the natural outcome is I will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Hello? Anybody struggle with lust? 
Okay, so majority of us struggle with lying. Okay, so if you are like one of two people that struggle with, I'll get to the lying part, but if you struggle with lust, I'm serious. If you struggle with lust and your approach is one of, I don't want to lust, I don't want to lust, Spirit of God. And you think of these passages, Spirit of God, I don't want to lust. Struggle or temptation with lusting, the battle is following the promptings and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the natural outcome is your life is one of purity. Is this paradigm shifting or what? Is this good news? It's great news. It's like, here's what it's like for me. It's like I walked into this 50-some story building. You know, I will see one of our guys to make a video, Byron. And, 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 I walk, and it's like amazing there. He works in the, Michael, is a board of trade building, right? One of these, it's one of these buildings. And I walked in, and it was just like, oh, okay, uh, I need to grab somebody. How do, you, how do you get to room 1207? Some of us think of the Christian life as this way. <laughs> a security guy going, here's the manual. Find 1207. Good luck. Or... The same person will go, oh, 1207. Yeah, follow me. We'll take a left right here. We'll take a left. Okay. Okay. Take another left. Come on. Come on. Take a left. Okay. Take another left. Take another left. We're going in a circle. I know, but don't worry about it. We'll get to 1207. Come on. Come on. Okay. Oh, stop, 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 stop. Traffic, stop, stop. Okay. Good. Okay. What's your Christian life look like? Does it look like that? Or the Holy Spirit saying, come on. I'll take a left right here. God, what about my five-year plan? What about my... God says, I'm going to guide you in the next 10 minutes. You listen, pay attention to the next 10 minutes. I got your next 10 years. The Holy Spirit says, come on. I'll take a left right here. Okay. But what about relations? Who am I supposed to marry? Don't worry about it. Take a right. Come on, take a right. Take a right. Okay, but what about my marriage? I'm really lonely, you know. Take another right. Don't worry about it. And you're having a conversation with God. And you're going, God, I really want to know five years from now what's going to happen. And God's going to you. Do you really want to know five years from now what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen if I told you five years from now what's going to happen. If I showed you five years from now what's going to happen, you're going to be freaked out. (laughs) Is this true? How many of you are doing things right now? If somebody told you five years ago you'd be doing that, you'd be like, hell no. I'm serious. Can I get an amen? How many of you are doing things right now? If five years ago, God said, that's exactly what you're doing. But what, is, what do we do? We go, I want to know. And God, because he loves you, says, no. No, child. Because if I showed you, you're going to freak and you're going to run. So I want you to follow me. Next 10 minutes, and I got your next 10 years. Is this good news? Okay, I got to finish. What is it like? What is it like to walk according to the Spirit? Let me tell you what walk according to the Spirit is not like. And the Bible talks that about what is not like as walking according to the flesh. Whenever you see walking according to the flesh, differentiation from desires of the flesh, whenever you see, when I was a Christian, you know, whenever I came across younger Christian, walking according to the flesh, I automatically envisioned some, some sexual deviant something in a dark corner. You know, we go, He's walking according to the flesh. <laughs> and we're like, oh my gosh, you know. So we, do you know what walking according to the flesh is? 
you and I all do it. Here's the definition of walking according to the flesh. Trusting in my strength and determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. Walking according to the flesh, retaining control over my life. Walking according to the flesh, giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites, and my fears when making decisions. You know what walking according to the flesh is? Is that some deviant sexual thing in the corner? It is. Somebody going, I'm gonna, I heard that sermon, the sermon series. I love it. I'm so convicted, God. So I'm going to go and be a better husband, a better wife, a better boyfriend, better, a better, 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 better. And your whole approach to Christian life is, I am going to depend on my determination, my effort, my strength, and I can. And the Bible says that is walking according to the flesh. You and I cannot pull this off. Can you get that through your thick skull? I cannot do this Christian life thing on my own. If I could do it on my own, why did Jesus waste his time by dying for me on the cross? If I could be righteous with God on my own, what was the point? But just as you and I cannot be righteous on our own, so we needed a Savior, we can't be righteous after salvation. We need a Savior. Paradigm shifting. I can't do anything to save myself. Never supposed to end. I can't do anything to grow myself. I need you. Secondly, retaining control. What does that mean? As soon as these words come out of your mouth, you retain control of your life. Lord, please don't ask me to. Dot, dot, dot. Lord, please don't ask me to. Because, you know, that stuff over there, your commands, what you want me that kind of bothers me. You know what I mean? So please don't ask me. To. Lord, I kind of like that. I want to be over, but, but over here, you know, you, I, I've got my desires, my plans. I've got, I got things that I want to do, so please don't ask me to. Lord, I'm in this relationship, and I kind of like it. I'm kind of not sure, but please don't ask me to. Lord, I'm in a very stable job, very stable city. I don't want to move. I don't want to go anywhere, so please don't ask me to. Or, Lord, I really want to get the heck out of Chicago. Please don't ask me to stay. As soon as you utter the words, please don't ask me to, you are in control of your life. Walking according to the flesh. Lord, please don't ask me to. Why some of you looking, <laughs> some of you putting your head down and giggling. How many of us done it? We're walking according to the flesh. Lord, please don't ask me to. There's two approaches to life. God, I lead. Here are my plans. Bless it. You think that's funny? Isn't that what we're doing? Isn't that what we're doing? How do I know? The relationship you're in, the job you're in, the position you're in, can you honestly go home today and go, no, please don't ask me. Lord, the answer is yes before it's even asked. It's yes. It's yes. <laughs> Lastly, Walking according to the flesh. <sighs> Giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites, and my fears when making decisions. Can I just ask a question? Isn't it always true that when we respond out of insecurity and fear, we make stupid decisions? How many, can, can I hear from somebody going, Peter, I made this decision out of insecurity and fear, and it was the best decision of my life. 
How many dumb decisions do we make out of insecurity and fear? I just made a ton last week. Anybody else with me? Anybody? Yeah, fears? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this is why we lie. This is why we cheat. This is why we live compromised lives. This is why we, and the list goes on. Walking according to the flesh is not some deviant thing. Walking according to the flesh is my desires, my goals, my agenda. And by the way, I am responding out of fear and insecurity. And Paul says when you do that, always the result. Walking according to the flesh. The Bible says this. Walking according to the spirit and walking according to the flesh cannot coexist. It's a choice. The Holy Spirit is a leader. He's our guide. He's our counselor. Every day, you and I are going to be faced with decision. I'm going to walk according to the flesh or I'm going to walk according to the spirit. Every day, you and I will be faced with a choice. Today, I'm going to walk according to the Spirit. I'm going to walk according to the flesh. I am going to today, tomorrow, when you get up on Monday morning, could do one of three things. You could either go, that sermon, that was stupid, whatever. Walk according to the Spirit. And you go, life as usual. Or you could consciously go, I'm up. Eyes are open. I've snoozed six times, but my eyes are sort of open. Before I even go get my grab cup of coffee, frankly, I get out of bed and I say, today, Holy Spirit, I want to live my life sensitive to and dependent upon your promptings and your enablement for the sake of your glory. That took 20 seconds. It's not talking about get your Bible up and do one-hour devotional so you can be a good Christian. Don't you want to be a good Christian? (laughs) Then I'm not a very good Christian because I don't do that much or hardly ever. But what I can do is roll out of my bed, spend half a minute in saying, today. Or some of you guys go straight to the coffee, get the coffee, head out for the rest of your week, and the natural inevitable result will be I'm going to live my life retaining control. I'm going to live my life with my agenda, my goals, my ambitions, my no, 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 no. Choice is yours. Choice is mine. Walking according to the Spirit, unfortunately, Romans chapter 8, the NIV, falsely translated it and says, those who are controlled by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't control you. It's not like, oh, I've gotten the Holy Spirit. And we sort of reach autopilot, you know. And like he controls us so I don't ever struggle with my sin because after all, I am filled with the Spirit. I am controlled by the Spirit. No, Holy Spirit, no, he doesn't. Holy Spirit influences you and he gives you a choice. Two things I'll leave with you. There are two things and only two requirements to learn to walk according to the Spirit. First is, Total surrender. And second is total dependence. Total surrender and total dependence. You and I will not ever be able to walk according to the Spirit, live this life that God called us to, if the approach of our life is one of God. I want to let you know that I'm convinced that I need to surrender. No, spirit life begins 
when you don't say you're convinced, but the spirit-filled life begins when you are convinced that you can't do this. When you realize you can't do this and you come to the end of yourself and you go, God, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to overcome this. I don't have what it takes to be the husband, wife I need to be. I don't have what it takes to be the radical, generous, loving, the poor, justice-seeking person I need to be. God, I don't have what it takes, God, to live my life as a witness in my workplace. God, I don't have what it takes to live a different life in such a way that other people take notice. I don't have what it takes, God. And so I don't just say that I surrender, but I actually do surrender. And the second thing is just surrender is dependence. Surrender and dependence go hand in hand. You will never learn to depend on God if you have never fully surrendered to God. Dependence on God comes when you recognize I have utterly and totally surrendered all that I am to him. And I don't have what it takes to live this life, God. I don't. And I'm tired and worn and beat up from trying and trying and trying. Total surrender, total dependence, total surrender, total dependence, total surrender, total dependence, total surrender, total dependence, total surrender. Total dependence. Total surrender. Total dependence. I have a very tough challenge in prayer I'm going to invite some of you guys to do. I'm going to ask you, some of you, to stand in a moment. Please listen very carefully. Because God loves you, God will take you to emotional valleys where you will come to the end of yourself. Because God knows that the most fertile soil, the fertile heart to learn this is through emotional, mental, physical, psychological, and spiritual valleys. But it's one thing to fight tooth and nail for that season. And it's another thing to go, God, I want you to do whatever it takes to teach me total dependence and total surrender. This is not for the faint-hearted. If you like your life comfortable, do not ask for it now. But if you are somebody who says... It's either I go all in and walk according to the Spirit or a status quo. So what I want to do is I want to invite those of you to stand. You've heard me preach for the last four weeks on this. To stand from your seat right now if you are somebody who says, God, total surrender total dependence do whatever it takes and I want to pray with you Grace you can come up please
I'm going to wait until everybody has stood that wants to stand. I'm going to pray. And if you can't, will you just go ahead and just kind of put your arms out, palms up. And say this with me. Total surrender. Total dependence. Say it again. Total surrender. Total dependence. Say it again. Total surrender. Total dependence. Here's what I'm going to have you do. And even those of you sitting down. The Holy Spirit will speak to you about what this means practically and tangibly. Total surrender. He's going he's gonna to speak to you about an area in your life. Your future, relationship, job, career, your marriage. I don't know what it is. Your children, your studies, your goals, ambitions. But the Spirit of God will speak. And, and as he's speaking and as he will speak to you, I want you to respond to him. With these simple words, you don't need to say anything fancy. Total surrender, total dependence. Okay? Total surrender, total dependence. He's got you. He's got you. Total surrender, total dependence. Total surrender. Total dependence. Yes. Total surrender. Total dependence. And say it out, pray it out. As he guides, as he guides, total surrender. He's got he's got you. He's got you. Total dependence, total surrender. And I keep asking that the glorious Father may give you spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Total surrender, total dependence. Also pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and his incomparably great power for us who believe total dependence, total surrender. Total dependence. 